ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. And as we do each and every Wednesday, we're joined by the one and only, the editor over at Canal Street Chronicles, and my homeboy, hey. Ross Jackson. Ross, how you doing today, man? I was doing great, man. I was doing great. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to be here with you, dude. Uh, hey, y'all. I'm I'm living, man. I'm living, you know, and it's been it's clearly it's been busy out here. <laughs> man, this last week, late. since the Oof. last time we spoke, just think of Oof. all the stuff in sports and in our lives that has right. happened in the last seven days. It's yeah. This year just continues to be a monster. I mean, historically, the chapter when they write, they write the chapter right. in 2020. It's going to be like, I mean, a Stephen King novel. Right. It's going to be a song. It's going to be a class on 2020 here in about 10 years. I'm telling you. Like, how did, how did, how did they survive 2020? Like, either this is the beginning of Planet of the Apes. Right. As we're about to descend into this de-evolution of society. Or this is about to be the second um, renaissance and we come out of right. another dark age because yeah. that's really the only two options like that's it go back <laughs> that's it right. like this that'll never happen again we'll never right. be here so either we're going up from this or we're going yeah. and it's going to be it's it's a, like just that it's just daunting it's just yeah. daunting you kind of just even though we know and this is kind of i guess um philosophical but even though we know time is just this thing it doesn't right. really matter right um but it seems like psychologically getting to 2021 is a huge mental Humongous. barrier for everybody. Humongous. Like more than a lot of years, this is like 2021, please can we get to 2021? Come through, come through 2021. No, for real, it, it has been like, and it's interesting. Cause like, usually I try not to, you know, we, we try not to like associate it that way, but you know, cause you never know when you're going to come out of something and stuff like that. But it really feels like even everything that we're talking about is like end of the year, things are supposed to get better. You know, if we're talking about a vaccine, if we're talking about, you know, uh, you know, where we might be like even football's, you know, college football is looking at the end of the year and, and always speaking in terms of like 2021 and the next year, like there's so many things being pushed into what the goal of 2021 mm-hmm. might look like. I had a, a student earlier say, it's going to be real bad when we get to, you know, eleven fifty nine p.m. of December thirty first, and then it ticks over to like December thirty second, twenty. And I was like, "Don't even play, don't even play, dog," because I'm not ready for that. <laughs> we're gonna do that Bill Murray thing, and we're gonna wake up, and you're right. gonna, uh, it's like, gonna look out the window. It's like, no, it didn't change. Right, right. Here change. we are, January first, twenty twenty, all over. Yeah. Again. Oh, oh no, Lord. no, like no. it's just, it's not, it's yeah, you know, but. Yeah, we're, it, it's funny like that we can benchmark it that way now and that we can sort of checkpoint it, if you will, and say, okay, once we're out of here, everything's going to be better. New year, new me. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. Like, or I guess new year, new everything. I yeah, there's certain touchstone years mm-hmm. in American history. And, you know, whether you go 1776, 1787, you know, um, 1812, 1860, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 1, 1860. Right. All those years now, 2020 is on that list. It's like, it's, there's, 
there's no way globally and, lo- and nationally that we will ever, ever, ever like it's, it's the date is because there's so much, it's just so overwhelming and there's so yeah. many people. I think this is one of those strange things where there's not a single part of American life that has not been impacted this year. Right. And it's almost, there's so much stuff happening that we are losing a lot of things, important things, Two, we can't like we're just not focused enough on the important stuff, right? And I, I mean, it feels kind of weird because this is what we do. We do something that is less important in the grand scheme of things, right? Um, and we enjoy it though. We and we yeah, it's important we, to us and it's important individually. But like as you mentioned, like in the grand scheme, like as we talked about last week, like with the NBA, like going on you know postponing and taking away basketball games, like that is so small in the grand scheme of everything else that's going on just this year, you know what I mean? Not even outside of just like life itself, but just in terms of the framework of, of things that have happened this year, it, you know, it's, it's minuscule. Yeah, it, it really is. And, but we'll keep, we'll keep covering the games. Cause again, these yeah. are part of life. There's, there's so much to our lives and we just, we want to make sure that we live them fully. But um, I think both of us would say, don't lose, don't take your eyes off the ball. Right. And, and just keep focused on the bigger things. So we have 11 days until the NFL season begins. 11 days. We never thought we would – again, these are one of those things you just feel like, I never thought we'd be this close. I, right. I really didn't. I didn't think we would yeah. get to this point. I knew we are. Um, yeah, I definitely expected something by now to be like, oh, we're going to push back the season a little bit, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever that was. I definitely expected it. But, yeah, no, I mean, we're here now, which is which is exciting and fantastic. And, in fact, like, I mean, if you think about it, too, we have the Thursday game this week. And so we're, you know, just a little a day over a week away from NFL football, 11 days away from Saints football, for sure, which for a lot of people is the real start of the season. But it's crazy to be this close. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still surprised, and but I'm also, you know, people are running victory laps, and I think it's a little too soon to do that on the NFL's COVID response because right, right. we haven't had a game yet. We haven't had right. enough tackling and, and intermingling of cities and players and transportation until we to know what's really going on. And I think yeah. franchise by franchise, the standards have been a little bit different. But I will say this, I, I'm glad that we've gotten to this point without too many players having to enter uh, the COVID protocols. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the big thing, and we're seeing it because there was the Austin P and University of Central Arkansas game just a few days ago. We're seeing a lot of people running victory laps because there have been no reported cases from that game so far, but you have to give it time. You have to wait because there's an incubation period for yep. this thing. So we might not know for 14 days after that game if anybody is infected if there was a spread if it did cause a cluster or anything like that so we can't e- even after the games are done we still can't celebrate for another couple of weeks and by then we've gone into by that time two more games after that before we really start to feel the effects of what the first game even yielded what did you think of the way that that first college game was presented i didn't see um what i thought would be the level of precaution taken for players uh, there was not much done at all from what I could see to to make sure that the playing environment was different yeah uh, it felt yeah it felt very much like it was just a usual college football game but there were just nobody you know there was just nobody in the stands so there was only a few people mm-hmm. in the stands at least uh you know on the sideline everything was still very much the same people were 
talking, cutting up. I mean, talking and cutting up is fine, but you know, like there were people leaning on each other, talking to one another. They were right there. There was no spacing on a guy standing on the bench or anything like that. Yeah. Very little masks from what I could tell and things like that, even from person, I'm sorry, even from staff personnel and everything. And so it it was a little strange. I think that the NFL will take more precautions uh, than that. And I think that I'm hoping that there will be a little bit more attention drawn. You know, we have FCS play starting tomorrow as well, or I guess continuing tomorrow. Uh, on Thursday. And so maybe we'll start to see a little bit more, more examples of more precautions being taken to keep everybody safe. Uh, but it, it was interesting. Like it, it really just felt like a football game with no fans is really yeah, like, like there wasn't a lot of adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was strange. Um, as far terrible as tackling, t- terrible tackling, horrible tackling that entire game. And so I'm so excited for September because offensive numbers are going to be off the charts and it's going to be extremely entertaining. <laughs> There's going to be some guys making <laughs> business decisions too at times. Like, yep. What you might see though, and this is interesting. I ne- hadn't thought about this till you said it. I wonder if you'll see more guys trying to throw forearms instead of form tackle to try to lay a hit on somebody rather than wrap them up. Right. The they just don't want that extra window. contact. You know, yeah. just like, let me put oh, him down. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Like, let me just lay him out. Yeah. And, get him and out you of might face. see some more, <laughs> like early on, we might see more penalties. Yeah. From people trying to just hit without having to land on top of somebody and go helmet to helmet with them. Right. Yeah, that's true. Right. Like, how do I hit this person as quickly and hard as possible? And that's going to, I mean, like, look, sometimes that's going to, that's going to, you know, work. And then there are going to be times where that, that's not going to be an option. And you are the last line of defense as a safety. And there goes that running back. There goes that, that wide receiver down the field. I think this uh, opportunity for defensive coordinators to, to really stress that, though, and to be like, yeah. form tackling is so important. It's more important than ever. We always talk right. about it. And I know, you know, the coaches talk about it constantly. But Definitely. you have the opportunity now to say, look, you could get embarrassed in a real way here right? if you don't focus on this because we have not been able to do it, you know, as much yep. to have that contact during camp. So mentally, it's a challenge on top of the other mental challenges because we're seeing now with the, with the NBA being in that bubble is mentally taxing. And I think there's going to be, even though it's not a a hard bubble for the NFL, there's going to be somewhat of an isolation Mm -hmm. during the season for those players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once they travel and once they end up where they're ending up for their game, if they're a road team, they're there. Like it's, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, you always hear a little bit about, you know, NFL players, they have their favorite cities to go to and play in and stuff like that. That's not really going to be much of a thing this year because there's not really any of that recreational time that you're going to be able to find. You're going to go to the team hotel that you're staying at. Meals are going to be go together. To, yep. It's all y'all <laughs> all the time. And then you're going to the, uh, to the facility or to the, the, the stadium arena and then you're going home like it's it's very very simple very very quick very very fast uh and it's gonna be i think like the risk factor isn't as much as baseball because the amount of travel that takes place in baseball but there's still going to be a risk factor that exists for nfl players that doesn't exist for WNBA, nba and nhl players that are all in a bubble right now just strictly based on even just two examples of travel per week with the eight uh you know per the eight road games Yep. And then playoff games and things like that to follow. Yeah, I mean, you talk about flight crews and all these things that, that are mingling with your team. Right. You know, airplanes going through airports, and I'm sure there'll probably be some things where they drive straight on tarmacs and all these things. But yeah. it's, it's going to – it's still 
you know, the risk is still there and we're seeing it um, play out, particularly in the Midwest right now. Yeah. The Midwest is getting hit super hard by another strain of COVID. I mean, by another um, outbreak of COVID and uh, Chicago, you know, Illinois is getting ready to lock people from um, Iowa out. Yep. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, the, and look, you get Green Bay, D- Detroit, Chicago, these Chicago, are cities yeah. that could easily spread these things, especially as we get into flu season. So it's going to be interesting. It's yeah, going to be interesting. Yeah. And the flu uh, season factor is huge. I'm glad you brought that up because then it, it's, you know, uh, symptoms for which, where are we? What is this? You know what I mean? Like, it's and they're not even so testing until you present. <laughs> Right. So that's the thing is a lot of people who right now and the numbers are going up, but they're still not getting tested until after they present. So they could be worse than we even expect. Mm-hmm. There is the state of Louisiana, though, has a, uh, given its permission for the Saints to have fans for their second home game. Um, week three against Green Bay on September 27th. The city hasn't approved that yet. Um, they are reviewing the Saints plan. The big issue is getting some federal money for reimbursements uh, for the pandemic response. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll actually see fans in the Superdome week three? Um, I think they're going to work very hard to get there, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't. Uh, I think that it's great that they've, they've tried to figure this out and that they are interested in doing it safely. They've talked about the plan of putting season ticket holders that haven't opted out or don't opt out by the opt-out deadline you know, on a rotation, essentially a two- or three-group rotation that allows them to, to come in and, and you know, CDC uh, protocols, CDC procedures at, in place, social distancing at place to make sure that people can have a safe experience, an enjoyable experience. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I wish, I, I, wish I, I could be a little bit more clear, but I think that that's, that's where we are still. I think we're still very much in a state of, of what we don't know yet. I think that because the second home game for the Saints is week three, the results following week one action may play a factor into that. You know, Jerry Jones is still completely convinced that they're going to have a, a full, full stadium, stadium at AT&T. And if that happens or any of these other places that are doing at, you know, a, a limited capacity, I believe that um, Atlanta, for instance, is still in the midst of trying to do limited capacity, which is probably a little bit more comparable to what the Saints would look to do. And so I think that we'll learn a little bit more after those week one matchups and starting to see as we move forward. I, I think week three is a little early. I think it's a little soon. I think because of what we talked about earlier with the incubation period of the virus, I think it's smarter to wait until maybe the third home game. But yep. I understand. I understand that they want to try to get these people that have, you know, the, these fans and these season subscribers, these season ticket holders that have already paid their money and they want to try to get them into as many games as possible. I get it. But I, I think week three is a little early to try to push for this. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I would have preferred them to at least wait a month, Yeah, you know, give it the opportunity, as you said, to run through those two rolling cycles, give yeah. it those two week periods, let it roll through. Um, and I would also have preferred a uniform approach for the NFL as far as attendance goes. If you're going to do it, yeah. make it uniform so you can have real data and you can go from, let's say, start with 10,000, and then move up, move it up to 20 or whatever and see right. how that progresses and whether stadiums are able to enforce the guidelines that you have in place. Because I think that's an important part of this is to be able to get the feedback. And if you start with week one with some cities with full stadiums, 
there is no way you can gauge your preparedness for that when you're the only right. one going through it. And you can't gauge the success of it if you're the only city doing it. If you're Dallas and you have 75,000 people and in New Orleans there are none, you cannot make a fair comparison as to what those procedures are going to look like. And Dallas is going to have one report. If they have a huge breakout in week one, how does that impact every other city in what it's trying to do from a PR standpoint? And I just, right. I, I just think the NFL should have been more. And that's been the biggest problem for all of this in the when we discuss the NFL is just the uniformity and the yeah. timeliness of their decision-making. Yeah, absolutely. And now they're talking about, I believe it was Roger. I mean, of course it was Roger Goodell, but it's somebody, I want to say it was Roger Goodell that was talking about how like there's no difference in competitive advantage based upon if, if, if teams have a little bit of fans, no fans and all of the fans. And it's like, come on, like you pride yourself so much on selling this game to fans by telling fans how important they are to a game but yet you're going to say that there's no competitive advantage that's brought upon by them. Like, which one is it? You can't have both and you can't just say whatever is most convenient to you at any time. But you know, the NFL, they, they want the money. Like they, if, if a team is willing to sit there and say, our city officials say that we can sell out this stadium, the NFL is going to say, well then go sell out that stadium because that means the salary cap's a little bit higher. It means our payout's a little bit higher. It means that things are, are you know, are in a better place financially trying to project ahead later on. But at the same time, do you not risk your entire season by doing that? And how beneficial is that financially for you if you have to cancel, you know, two games from a team or postpone games or, you know, go back to that sort of 1982 structure that we continue to, to call back to, to where you can postpone six games of the season until later, you can push the Super Bowl back a month, but all of that costs you money. And you so, can't have an NFL game become a super spreader event. Right. You, you right. just it's can't. Right. Yeah, from a PR perspective, from a health perspective for that state, because that's a ton of people. It's a lot of people. Who come from a lot of different places. Exactly. Like, that's what people have to remember. And we talk about the NFL and college football, is that you are bringing people from all over states and cities to come into this one place. And they are, again, different standards in every community people deciding whether it's important or not to mask up people passing and you don't know 75,000. I mean, that is, that's bigger than what the Trump rally was in Oklahoma city. That's right. about the, that's almost the size of a Sturgis, the Sturgis rally in, mm-hmm. in North Dakota. So, I mean, you're talking about, and we see it on college campuses. We see it in, in high schools. Yeah. Look at UNC. 75,000 people in one place for three and a half, five hours, you know I mean? <laughs> Tailgating and all that. Right. And then try to get out those masses of people. Remember, talk about exiting a stadium yep. and being in that mass of people as you leave yep. on concourses and going back out to parking decks and flooding out into the streets and waiting for Ubers and cabs and all. Whoo. Yeah. I, I wish the NFL would have taken a stance in universalizing things. And it's going to be another example probably of the NFL having more than enough time to do that but potentially being forced into it when it's already too late. You know, because you I mean? could geo limit fans too. You could say if yeah. you're outside of this radius, you can't come. If you're at home address, whatever is outside of this radius, and then you double check that they didn't pass it or something when they get to the stadium, right. you say, let me see your ID, you know? Right. But yeah, I, I don't... it's, it's, it's tough. It, it's, it's a really, really tough uh, situation to try to walk through because you know, we're only going to learn more is the thing. And not every piece of information we're going to get is going to be positive. 
No. There will be some positive information, I'm sure. Like some some of the stay, you know, some of the teams that don't have fans in their stadium may get good news out of it in terms of spreads and things like that. But the more fans you have, the more variables you've introduced, and inherently, the more bits of information you're going to get out of that. And and it's tough because like you don't want to think of people as the problem, right? Nobody wants to do that. But unfortunately, the people are the problem here. You know, we are the carriers. And so we become the variable and, uh, and, and it's tough. It, it, it's a tough situation to navigate. I get it. But in terms of the financials and everything like that, it's a tough situation to navigate. But I think from the human life perspective, this is a really simple decision that the NFL could have stepped into and universalized a long time ago. There's still time, fingers crossed. But... Yeah, ban tailgating for sure. You right. have to ban that for sure. Right. Like no, even if you're not having fans, you better the stadiums that have those big space, you can't allow people to just sit in the parking lot out of ritual mm-hmm. and be out there either. I think that's something that you have to crack down on too. Um, let's move to the actual football stuff. Um, uh, big story in Saints world is Alvin Kamara's contract uh yeah. situation. What are you hearing? Um, certainly I understand his motivation. Mm-hmm. You've got to get this done where there's no certainty for next year for anybody, but particularly at that position. I understand the Saints position. Do, he's back at practice, mm-hmm. um, but do you, do you think a deal gets reached before the season starts, or is this something that hangs over the team the whole year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, it, is, it is very much one of those two in that they either get a deal done – or they don't. And, and, and I know that, that sounds really rudimentary, but what I mean by that is that I don't really see a scenario in which the Saints trade Alvin Kamara at this point. It, it could get to that point. Don't get me wrong. We can't say never because they also traded away Jimmy Graham while he was flying a plane. You know, so like there's all of these sort of things that are sort of unprecedented in terms of how it's going on. But what I mean is that what seems most likely to me is that the team and the camp, right, Alvin Kamara's camp, are intent upon reaching a long-term extension. That's what we've been told. That's what we, we understand is that both sides want to get this done. It just comes down to numbers, details, things like that. The Saints are in that, and every team is in a win-now perspective. Let's not pretend like that's not a thing for every team, but we'd like to talk about it for the Saints. <laughs> I guess you're right. I guess Detroit. you're right. Most every, team, my life, right? you know? Most every team that has a chance uh, wants to win now, you know? And so I think that that's, there's, there's nothing uh, shocking about saying that about the New Orleans Saints either. This is potentially, and I expect your breezes last season. Everybody's intent, even Emmanuel Sanders said, I'm coming in and I want to win a, win a ring for Drew. You know what I mean? Uh, and so that, that is present, that is there. And I think that for the Saints – Having a young running back beyond, you know, having a young and effective running back beyond Drew Brees is important for whoever takes over at quarterback, whether it be Jameis Winston, Tamus Hill, or other, uh, whether it be free agent or, or, or a rookie. You said Tamus um, Hill. Did I say Tamus Hill? Jameis. Because yeah, I did it last week and now it's your turn. So see, it's going to be, that's going to happen a lot this season. Ta- Taysom Hill. <laughs> Tamus is just stuck now. Tamus, it is. It's just, you can't, you can't get away from it. Uh, but whether it's one of those guys uh, or, or, you know, option C or D, uh, you know, having a young viable running back is important. Having a young, talented tight end is very important. The Saints went and got that in, in Adam Troutman. So <clears throat> you look at what it is that they're doing in the way that they built this team. There is, at this moment, number one priority amongst anything else that we've heard, been reported, seen everybody react to 
is that they want to get this deal done. And that's what they're going to work towards. On Tuesday, there was the whole media explosion around the Saints being open to trading Alvin Kamara. I'm sorry, but duh. Like, of course. Like, every team, and I've talk, I talked about this on the show today, too. Like, every team is open to trading any player that they feel like they might lose at the end of a season if they can't get a long-term deal done. That's not surprising. That's that's business. sort of business, business right? Yeah. yeah, like that's that's just work that's the way that it works out everything status quo that's what i'm looking for like that's that's the way that it works out is that if you feel like you're going to potentially lose alvin Kamara at the end of the season and the only thing you're going to get from him because he signed with another team is maybe at best a third round compensatory pick in 2022 then yeah you're going to be open to listening to offers if you feel like you can't get a contract done with him but the first and foremost priority being that they're only two to two and a half million dollars apart from one another reportedly from several sources is to get that deal done and to keep him in new Orleans for the foreseeable future. And we always, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 please. I was just saying, we always know the holdup is guaranteed money. Right. Um, The market has kind of been reset by, I wouldn't say the McCaffrey deal. That's not the deal Kamara is going to get. It's not, that's not Not going to happen. But the baseline is probably now the Joe Mixon deal four years 48 million i would expect that's where camara at the minimum wants to be yeah and i think that they're above that already in terms of what they're offering him because the reports are that they're offering in that 12 million dollar range so i think that like the joe mixon deal is is present for certain but i still think that alvin camara is still looking at or alvin Kamara's camp is still looking at david johnson and Le'Veon bell at 13 and 13.1 million dollars and, and looking at those and going like if those guys are getting that then ak's you know the tough part, though, is though both years. of those franchises would say it's a regret because Le'Veon Bell, the Jets, would probably not do that deal again. Yeah. And I would imagine – and David Johnson, that's the reason that he's traded from Arizona right. is because he has not lived up to that deal. So I right. think a lot of teams are regretting, when you, especially when you see what's happening with Todd Gurley and what happened to him in L.A. and then what's happened to Leonard Fournette. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they say, what, out of the running backs who were drafted between 2014 and 2016, 16 or something uh-huh. then 95% of them when we're different teams now. Yep. So, yeah. and I think, I think that's right. I think that that's true. And that's the organizational perspective is that, yeah, those contracts you might want because those guys got those contracts, but everybody regretting those contracts right now. And we don't want to do that. And I think that that's exactly where the holdup is, is that for potentially for Alvin Kamara's representation, Alvin Kamara's camp, they want more than those guys. And they're using that as a baseline while the saints are saying, well, that has proven to be, those deals have proven to be not great for those organizations, so we don't want to go there. I think that that might be where the snag is in terms of what that $2 million, $2.5 million difference is if the Saints are operating in that $12 million range and Alvin Kamara and, the, and his camp are wanting that 13 to $14 million range. And that's, those are the numbers that have been reported so far. Uh, apparently, they've gotten close before. And then I think personally that this trade thing, you know, like it's, we see this all the time. We see the, the public negotiation that right. takes place sometimes because sometimes you can also dictate the market based upon what other teams are willing to give up for a player. So if you get all these trade offers and say, this is what your market looks like, then that becomes a negotiating tool and that becomes a negotiating tactic. And 
we don't see the Saints resort to it very often, but we also don't see the Saints go out there and talk bad about a player that's on the roster like they did with Larry Warford. We also don't see, you know, a coach go out there and talk about how, you know, this is their quarterback's last season. We don't see that often from this organization, but we've seen a lot of things that are a lot more transparent here recently coming out of the Saints organization. And so I'm not entirely surprised if that is, you know, a leveraging tool. If that was that type of negotiating tactic or anything like that, I don't think there's anything negative about it, but I just think that it's a, it's an opportunity to say, here's our leverage because here's what your market is. The rumors are that the saints are seeking or would ask for a first rounder for any, uh, in any deal. Mm-hmm. I understand the ask. Uh, is there a deep list of teams that would be able to pay that price or would be willing to pay that price in this market uh, especially again, as we talk about what's happened to running backs lately. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough because I have a hard time thinking that any team is going to give up a first round pick for a running back, like the market and the vol and the, how volatile that position is based upon injury wear and tear, which we've already seen from Alvin Kamara last year. And a lot of people will say that his 75% is better than most uh, running backs in the league. That's fine. But how often, how long will those injuries, if they continue, render him only 75% capable as opposed to 50 or 0% capable at any point? Because we like to talk about Alvin Kamara was 75% ready last year and was okay, but there were also games where the Saints won with 0% Alvin Kamara. You know what I mean? Because he literally wasn't in the game or yep. he only got seven touches or, or whatever. Um, so I think that that is a factor. I think just the volatility of the running back position as a whole is a factor. He is a special running back. He is a generational talent. I cannot deny that of him, but I imagine that teams are going to be weary, wary excuse me, of trading for that position regardless. Maybe there's one exception in the NFL being Christian McCaffrey. And so, and even him, he comes with concerns because of the position that he plays. Yep. So if any team is going to trade a first round pick, it would have to be a team that has a lot of draft capital to give up. And so you look at uh, Miami, which I know has been a team that has already been uh, mentioned a ton. They don't really have, I mean, they have a couple of running backs there, Matt Breida. They've got, uh, yeah, well, no, they just, they just traded away Ballage, but there's a few running backs on that roster that I think can be helpful to that team, but they don't have a lead running back. And if you have a guy like Tua, that is eventually going to take over a starting role, whether it be at some point this year or next year, again, having that young running back that you can throw to out of the backfield and that reliable running back you can throw to out of the backfield is it's beneficial. It's helpful for a young quarterback. You want that. And so, and especially somebody that has the injury history of a guy like Tua Tagovailoa as well, you want to be able to keep him safe. And so getting, being able to give him that outlet, every play that is reliable uh, would be a huge factor. Everyone has pointed to the New England Patriots, and I think that that makes sense. I mean, we talked about it. Of course, like the fit for Alvin Kamara and Cam Newton is just natural because Cam Newton has worked with Christian McCaffrey throughout most of Christian McCaffrey's uh, career outside of the times that Cam's been injured. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, the Patriots have always utilized that running back out of the backfield that can catch, but they've had to do it with James White you get a big-time upgrade in a guy like Alvin Kamara. Uh, Jacksonville's an entertaining and interesting area. Um, I don't know that they have enough really to give up to the Saints mm-hmm. at all because I think you would want a first-round pick to be a part of the deal, not just a first-round pick. 
And, you know, it's not like the NBA to where you're going to get multiple first round picks for a guy for the most part. I'm sure that there are exceptions to that, but you know, I, I, I just don't really see, I don't know that Jacksonville fits there, but there's an interesting need there, especially here recently with uh, um, Leonard Fournette being released. So those are a few teams that jump out. Buffalo's an intriguing and interesting uh, team as well. But for the most part, I still very much expect Alvin Kamara to be, uh, again, I'll never say never. It can, it can happen, but I still expect Alvin Kamara to be a saint here in 2020. Yeah. I just, the first round picks are so valuable in the NFL now. Um, They've always been valuable, but they're more so now because of cost control. Um, And I, I just, it's really tough to see a team, you know, we talked about this as far as if you're a team that's in position to want Alvin Kamara that badly that you're going to give up a first rounder, then you're a winning team, but your first rounder's late first round. And the Saints are not going to be as interested in that, that you might as well have given them a second round pick. Right. The teams that are really bad, what's the point in giving up a first round pick for a running back? It it just doesn't move the needle enough for you. So I, I'm in. I'm on your uh, thought wave with this. Is that either he signs or they just, if there is a trade, I wouldn't expect it. And I think we talked about this a lot during the summer. Is I wouldn't expect it before the deadline just to see mm-hmm. um, how his fit is. Unfortunately for Alvin Kamara, he knows the Saints can win a Super Bowl without him. And yes. I think his value to the that- team versus his value to the league are two different things. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think like, I want to be very clear. Like I'm never going to say anything bad about Alvin Kamara. As and that's not what we're doing yet. Right. Right. And, and, but the fact of the matter is that the saints can win with Latavius Murray and Ty Montgomery. You know what I mean? Sean Payton got production out of Travaris cadet. He got production out of, out of Chris Ivory. He got production out of some of these guys, you know, these undrafted running backs like Pierre Thomas, who of course was also an incredible talent that was just missed. Um, but that the Saints, you know, were fortunate enough to, to get on the good graces of and or try to remain on the good graces of that didn't boil down toward the end of his career. But, you know, uh, they, they've done this before. And, they, you know, you have two starter quality running backs behind Alvin Kamara in this running back room in Latavius Murray and Ty Montgomery. And I'm not saying that Latavius Murray isn't better than those guys. Latavius, I'm sorry, I'm not saying that Alvin Kamara is not better than those guys. Alvin Kamara is better than those guys combined. But it's it's just one of those things where there's still enough weapons on this roster with Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders. You know, you look at Deontay Harris and how he can get involved in the offense. Taysom Hill is an offensive weapon. These two running backs that can catch out of the backfield. Latavius Murray, who they leaned on when Alvin Kamara was out last year to great profit on only 21 and 25, 27 carries during those two games where he was out and still put up over 100 yards and found the end zone multiple times in those games. I mean, they, they have the... And they have an, a very good offensive line that can help to create opportunities for whoever the running back is back there. So they have reliable options still if, for whatever reason, they can't move forward with Alvin Kamara this season or at any point in the season that they need to move on without him. It's the same thing that we would have said if you know we get to week three and he's injured, that the Saints still are not in terrible shape and Alvin Kamara makes them maybe one of those, you know, it, it moves the needle for certain, but are they no longer a contender? No, I, 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 can't, I can't say that. And that's not to devalue Alvin Kamara. That's just because we have to look at how much this team, first of all, uh, achieved not only without him, but without their starting Hall of Fame quarterback last year and 
uh, without, you know, they're tied end in a couple of games and without a second wide receiver option. Like there are so many things this team operated with without over last year and still went 13 and three. Now the big thing is, can they get over the hump in the playoffs? But I don't know that Alvin Kamara makes the, I mean, Alvin Kamara didn't he, make that. He didn't make that he difference. Has he in the play postseason the it, last it, three seasons? Exactly. Exactly. And so it's still the team itself has the weapons that it needs. It has the coaching that it needs. And the question about the playoffs doesn't come down to Alvin Kamara. It comes down to execution by the entire team. Situational play calling on the defensive side, um, injuries, um, uh, offensive play calling on the offensive side, not all of them choosing to go uber conservative when the game is, your, is a sudden death game. Like Those types of things are still factors, whether or not Alvin Kamara is on the roster. And so I, I have trouble moving them out of contender status, which I know Vegas would. I know that ESPN would. I know that FPI would, don't get me wrong. But to truly take them out of contention on that, I, I couldn't do it just yet, not with the, not with the, the roster that they have. No, they're too talented, and that, that's the problem for Kamara in this, in this situation is, mm-hmm. is he's on a team that has an insane amount of talent. We've talked about this mm-hmm. may be the most talented Saints team in history. On right. both sides of the ball, from 1 to 22, the starting group may be as talented. And then you go into the reserves, and yep. we'll get into that in just a minute. It is still just a tremendously talented team. And when you're a piece of that in the NFL, it's not basketball. It's not where one guy can have that much of an impact outside of the quarterback position, uh, typically on offense. And then it's, it's not baseball where you get to stand up there and you know you're going to get at least three swings at a bat uh, over the course of a game. It, it, it's just his value is going to change week to week, and that's right. just the nature of this beast. It's a difficult position for him to be in. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't not understand him. I get it. Right. I get it. And, and if I were him, I would be doing the same thing. Right. It's just, it's a hard battle to win right now yeah. um, for any running back. Yeah. He's got, he has to try to get this money right now. It's, it's, it's his best choice because even if he gets traded to another team, there's no guarantee that that new deal happens this year. Look at Yannick Ngakwe, for instance. Uh, now, Yannick Ngakwe is a bit of a different case because they can't because it's beyond that June 15th deadline. He never signed his, uh, his, his franchise tag and everything like that. But, I mean, you know, you could still end up in a situation in which you're not able to come up with another contract. The other thing is that if the Saints decide that they don't want to do this long-term deal at this point and they say, okay, we'll wait until the end of the season and he goes out and has a huge season, the Saints can still franchise tag him. Yep. <laughs> like, there's nothing that says that the Saints are going to end up shooting themselves in the foot by waiting this year because, oh, he has a great 2020 and now they have to pay him you know, a record-setting deal. Not necessarily. If they can figure out how to maneuver the cap situation to get under that $175 million or whatever the cap ends up being, they can franchise tag him as another option and they can make that space to make that happen. And so there's still so many options in terms of how the Saints come out on top with leverage here that we can't blame Alvin Kamara for saying, I need to try to get this money right now. We can't blame him for it at all, but it's it's just it's going to be challenging for him to do that. I think that they'll meet in the middle somewhere. I think that thirteen to fourteen million dollar range, particularly in that thirteen million dollar range, isn't too far off of what each of them goes to. If the Saints are willing to go up to that, then maybe there's more guaranteed money involved, as we talked about earlier, that makes to help uh, sort of sweeten that deal. And that's the thing is. I can, it's, it's like buying a new car. And I tell mm-hmm. people this all the time. You go and you turn in your trade in. 
the trade-in number is not really what you think it is because they're hedging it on what uh, the other side. I can offer you right. more on the trade, but the car price is still this. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a, a negotiation, basically, of how much you want to give up on one side or the other. So if I'm Alvin Kamara in this situation, I'll take 48 if you're guaranteeing me 40. Right. Rather than yeah. take 13 or 14 and you're guaranteeing me 35. Right. I want the you know I I and if I'm him I want the shorter term anyway because they're not going to the longer term to me is more likelihood of getting cut. The more yeah. years you have on the end of your deal, the likely the more likely it is that the Saints would move on, especially when the projections are. And I'll let you talk about the reality of this because you did write about this and you've talked about this a lot lately. The projections of seventy eight million dollars in the hole for the Saints mm-hmm. next season and the cap. Explain why that number is not necessarily the number yeah it, it, it's an interesting thing because they, we if we're operating under the assumption that the salary cap will be 175 million dollars which is the lowest possible that it can get then they're in that hole but you look at uh drew Brees if he retires that's 13.5 million dollars off the books immediately the rest of that that 22 or so that's guaranteed and that's still there that is that's there no matter what. And that's already in that figure is the thing. Mm-hmm. And you can't look at the full $35 million that's left to him and say, oh, he's counting $35, $37 million against the cap because 13 and a half comes off immediately once he retires. So there's that to consider, which knocks down a large portion of that money. There are also other cuts that can be made and other players that you know either can be extended, can be restructured. If... Um, both Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchick get new contracts at the beginning of next year, as opposed to playing through their fifth year option, they can create an extension so that it drops their base salary in 2021, but then backloads toward the back portion portion of their contract for when all that new TV money comes in and all the new TV deals are expected to be there. And the Saints would be kicking the can down the road, yes, but also planning on an ever-growing salary cap, which is what we have seen up until this point. The thing about the Saints salary cap is that they've actually done a very good job managing it around kicking the can down the road, save $13.5 million, which if the salary cap was supposed to be $215 million this year, ain't that bad. <laughs> That's not that bad at all. And so the Saints are, have actually done a very good job at it. It's just that you know a global pandemic happened to hit, and that's what actually caused a wrinkle in all of this. But the, the biggest thing to look at is that you have money that you're going to save immediately if Drew Brees retires. If Drew Brees returns then you have some costly decisions that you're going to have to make around maintaining his payment. But I don't know that he does. I don't know that he cripples the team in that way either. Like, I don't think that he would handicap the team in that way because if he comes back, it causes a ton of trouble and they can't build around him and they can't give him something in what would then be for sure his final year. That's why I still think that this is his last season. Um, You look at the extensions that we talked about with Ryan Ramchick, as well as with Alvin, I'm sorry, um, Marshall Lattimore, <clears throat> you look at restructures that they can do with Teron Armstead, that they can do with, uh, that they can do with Michael Thomas that would save, uh, I think it's around eight to $13 million, depending upon how they restructure. So we'll just call it $8 million. Um, Cam Jordan can still be restructured with years left on his deal. There are still money saving cuts that can happen. Malcolm Brown, as much as they like him, that is a less costly decision to make than having to move on from a top guy. How does Sheldon Rankins look this year? If he's somebody that Mario Davis's figure, Demario Davis's figure is somebody that has to get yeah, that has to get factored in if they want to retain him. So the the complicated part is not going to be getting compliant with the salary cap. 
The complicated part is going to be retaining talent and, that is already off contract. So it's not really about them having to make costly decisions to where they're going to be like, oh, well, I'm sorry, I guess we have to cut you know, this, that, and the other in order to move on. Um, it's going to be decisions instead about bringing in new free agents. But at that point, they're in the same boat as every other team in the NFL that is going to be working to get under the salary cap. So getting to that point is not that challenging. It's not easy. You don't get me wrong, but it's not as I think drastic as people like to play it up to be that don't have as much of an understanding of what the team's salary cap looks like and the way that the team maneuvers the cap and works with all these. They have so many restructures available, so many extensions that can actually buckle teams and buckle players down with the team longer while also lessening their salary cap hit in 2021 and so many other options in terms of players that won't necessarily move the needle that are role players that they have to make tough decisions on, which we knew was going to be the case no matter what, simply because the amount of players they have to resign. So it really just comes down to figuring out how to resign players in such a way that they carry a low base salary, but get a heavy signing bonus that's spread out over five years that ends up getting spread out. The thing about the new CBA getting reached that really helped out the saints is that if the new CBA had not been reached, there would have been a 30% cap on the increase of salary base salary each year over a contract. So if you had a, uh, you know, one, let's just say a $100 contract, you can only raise that to $130 and then $160 each year off of the original base salary. And so now they can give somebody a contract that is, you know, a $3 million base salary in 2021, but then a $12 million base salary in 2022. Look at Taysom Hill's contract, for instance. That's mm -hmm. exactly what they did with him. They kept him right around where his RFA tender would have been. And then he skyrockets next year where he could potentially be your starting quarterback and it makes sense. So there's a lot of different ways that they can, that they can maneuver to get compliant with the cap. The biggest mm -hmm. issue is just going to be adding talent, which is the same song for every team in the NFL, essentially. I think there would be two different strategies. Obviously, if Breeze, no, if Breeze retires, hopefully you're thinking we won. Okay, so we the Saints have won a right. Super Bowl. You're you're hoping that that's how the season ends, and then you end up with two different strategies. To me, one is if you go with um, the idea of okay, we're going to stay competitive, but we have to give up some of this depth by either trading people for draft picks so we can keep our bottom of our mm -hmm. salary cost controlled and we've been doing a good job drafting let's put our faith in our scouting department and rebuild it that way if you get the unlikely scenario then that okay breeze decides to come back which means that you probably lost the super bowl or right. didn't get there then you are again having to play the short-term game and i think you're right is that the saints would much rather prefer no matter what for drew to, to walk off into the sunset because i think mickey loomis would like to get into the long-term planning of the next set because a 15 year run is a 15 year run, right? You've got to start changing at some point to adapt for whatever's next. Cause it will catch up with you eventually. If you try to hang on too long to one group, I think we've seen, you can still remain competitive and make changes, but yeah. if you hang on to your guys too long, you, and it's the old adage, you'd rather cut a guy a year too early than a year too late. Yep. 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 Cause then you end up costing your team as well as that player. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. Um, the, the main sort of big domino, the first domino that has to fall is Drew Brees retiring after the season. Drew Brees retires, then they're, they're in better shape. It's, it's strange to say it, but they're in better shape when it comes to the salary, when it comes to the financials, it is what it is. and they may be in better shape 
talent wise too. But one of the big things, especially at the quarterback position, depending upon, you know, who they end up getting there, right? Do they get a new element to their offense with Jameis Winston, who they would have to resign is the big thing. They'd have to sign him. But again, you can set it so that he has a very low base salary and cap hit the first season that he still gets paid because he gets a big old signing bonus at the very beginning of it. So he still gets his money in terms of cash. But when it comes down to what the salary cap looks like, lower hit to begin, and then it grows exponentially over the course of the contract. Going back to Alvin Kamara's contract real quick, that's the other thing that they might be fighting over with all of this is that, hey, we want to extend you, but this first year of the extension that would begin next year, this has to be has low. To be low. Mm-hmm. And so there could be a conversation about signing bonus and then again, guaranteed money off of all of it to where it's like, yes, we'll guarantee you all of this, but we can't give you too large of a signing bonus because we have to keep the split over five years or over four years at a certain point or we'll add a voidable year to it so that it is five years. But you're going to get a signing bonus of this much, but you'll still be guaranteed this much. It's just going to take a little bit longer for it to pay out because we can't make that signing bonus too heavy or it's a larger division over those years. There's still, there's so many nuances and, and conversations and intricacies that have to go into building that contract that that could be the other thing that creates it. The more guaranteed money, the longer term his contract can be guaranteed for, i.e. if you're looking at something that's like, let's say a $13 million contract and you're guaranteeing $36 million, that kind of translates to save the signing bonus, a three-year contract in that case. Mm -hmm. So does he get a four-year contract with an an out after the third year, or does he get a five-year contract with an out after the second year, so on and so forth? Like there's still so many of those other places to where when that guarantee money runs out, that's really what you're, you can expect that contract term to be. You look at Malcolm Jenkins' deal, it's that way. You look at Emmanuel Sanders, or sorry, not Emmanuel Sanders, Jerry Cook's deal was built that way to where the Saints could have gotten out from under uh, with him this year if they needed to. And several other players to where if you're toward the, it's what DeMar- Demario Davis's new contract would look like if he gets one, which I hope he does. There's so many of those conversations that have to take place that could also be a snagging point for you know the team and, their, and, and Alvin Kamara's camp right now as well. Um, let's go to the practice field. Saints had are back at practice today. Um, some guys have missed a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine it's mostly rest because we have not heard a ton of concern. We're not seeing any moves to reflect any um, issues there, projections. But Malcolm Jenkins, Marcus Davenport, Zach Bond, um, all missed have have missed um, at least the last four practices uh, in a row. Um, but you did get Andrews Pete back. On the practice field, this so it is. You know, at least he's back. He's back. So he's back. He's there. He's available. Depth is back. Yeah, and that's that's you know this is it it fit the timeline perfectly. That he was going to be gone for around two weeks. That's exactly what happened. Uh, I still think that you know had this team been in season, he wouldn't have missed the game with that injury. They would have wrapped him up and sent him out on that field. And yeah, he's wrapped up. You see what he is now. It's it's, it's just a big wrap. Yeah, and everything. And so, you know, still still not too bothered by what that injury uh, is or would have been in the regular season. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of concern when you look at a, a practice report and you see, you know, the pool report is like the, the names are longer than the actual uh, like highlights of the day and everything. But look, there's the, the Saints have to get a look at some. There's no preseason. There's no preseason for them to get a look at some of these bottom of the roster guys, excuse the phrase. But, you know, these depth guys and everything. And so they're wanting to get a look at as many of these players as they can. And sometimes that means if they, that could mean that they just get the opportunity to give some of the veteran guys that they don't need to see rest. 
those guys don't have to prove anything. They just need to stay healthy. And so Malcolm Jenkins back on August 28th, um, coach Payton told us that he would be back soon and he expects him back soon. So I'm not too worried about that. I'm not going to go out there and speculate why Malcolm Jenkins, there have been so many wild things thrown around about why Malcolm Jenkins isn't at practice. I was this stuff. And it's like, that's fine, but I'm not going to speculate. We don't know. So I'm not going to say, you know what I mean? I'm not going to get into that, but you know, for the most part, we, he's expected to be back soon. It wouldn't surprise me if he was back today, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, especially with the day off. They had a day off on Sunday and then another day off on, on Tuesday. It's fine. Um, Alvin Kamara is expected to return. Andrus P came back. Uh, the, the one that I am most interested in is Zach Bond. The rumor for Zach Bond is that it, ha- it, it, that it is a minor injury. The Saints, though, started out with him in the starting lineup immediately. Right. And training camp. So it could also be precautionary in that it is minor and they've seen enough and they're comfortable with what they've seen because they were comfortable enough to throw him into that immediately. So we'll see exactly what happens with him. Uh, Anthony Ciccolo finally came back and yeah. was able to, to perform, uh, which is great. And I'm glad for him with that. It, it, it's a long road for him at this point after missing 11 of these practices. And as we talked about several times, like, yeah, it's three weeks, but it's limited. Even the, even the padded practices are limited to only 14. So he missed, you know, 11 out of 14 potential padded practices, potential padded practices. Some of them, they only did uh, uh, shells and things like that. But, you know, it's an interesting deal to continue to watch that. You look at Marcus Davenport, you want him to be healthy. (laughs) I mean, you know, just if nothing else, but for him, you know, uh, he's such a productive player. He bulked up this year. He's looking great both in the run and in the pass rushing game. So we'll see. I mean, you know, they brought in uh, a couple of defensive linemen, TJ Green, the undrafted free agent. No, not TJ Green. uh, TJ Carter, I believe, the undrafted free agent out of Kentucky. And then they brought in another player from, I can't remember his name, but they brought him in. He was in the, on San Diego's uh, practice squad, as well as a couple of other practice. They're not bringing in anybody to, it's, it's, I think it's like, camp bodies that we hate yeah, to say it that yeah. way but no it's they it's have to be able to process. run practice yeah it's an evaluation process and they need to be able to practice it's exactly right they got to be able to go three teams deep at all times and they're already 10 people down than what they usually are and so and we also have to factor in that Jalen dalton is out for the season because he had the torn triceps injury which is unfortunate because the saints really liked him but you look at the additions along the defensive line i put those more akin to helping to make up for the presence that you for sure lost for an entire season uh, during camp, as opposed to speculating what might be going on with, you know, any of these other guys that, you know, we've seen players getting, getting veteran rest all season, all off season so far. We saw it with Drew Brees. We've seen it with Malcolm Jenkins, Demario Davis, Cam Jordan, uh, Toronto Armstead and Ryan Ramchek. We've seen it. And so I'm not too concerned about it. The, the one, the one injury that has caused a little bit of conversation. And I think I think deservingly so is uh, Caesar Reese got shaken up a couple of practices ago. He, yes. Nick Easton and Drew Brees toppled over one another uh, on, I think he's it was what just, three days now for Caesar yeah, I think Reese? three. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's either three. It, or f- it, yeah. I think it's like three practices, yeah, right? Cause practices. it's also been two days off and things like mm-hmm. that. And so hopefully you see him back soon. And the only reason why you get concerned about him is that if he comes back, he might be a little bit more behind the curve now of where they wanted him to be at center. So what does that mean for his starting position? at the beginning of the season. There's nothing wrong if Cesar Ruiz starts at right guard to begin the season. There's no, there's no problem with that. The Saints have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to that young talent and him and Eric McCoy. So whatever their configuration is, it, it's not of detriment to the Saints to have one in either position. He's not going to put either one of those guys, any of the offensive line guys, you know, in a position where they can't succeed. Right. Or at the very least hold their own. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And he'll have help. I mean, he would have Eric McCoy, who did great, you know, in terms of any ace blocks, and which is a double team on the interior. Or if you have any of those other, you know, double teams over on the outside, you got Ryan Ramchick next to you. Like the dude is fine, no matter what it is and no matter where it is that they have him. He's a great communicator. He's very talented. He's, you know, you don't lose athleticism by not having Eric McCoy at the right guard position because he's Ruiz is extremely athletic as well. He's a great pulling guard. He's a great lead blocker. He did that a ton uh, in terms of getting out from even the center position and getting into the second level, which is particularly challenging sometimes while he was with Michigan. He'll be able to do the same thing and be designed into it as a guard. Um, like I, I'd love to see him at center because it's what the team said that they wanted. But, you know, factors like this, have to be taken into consideration when making the, the decision. And it could mean that it's just that he doesn't start at center until the week fifth game four, of the season. Yeah, week five. Right, you know, it, it, it'll be fine. We divide it, it does cause, season. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, the Saints in week one are not going to be the Saints in week eight, are not going to be the Saints right. in week 12, they're not going to be the Saints in week 17. Right. And I don't worry about it. I would imagine, based on our conversations that we've had and the things that we've talked about with this franchise – is Sean Payton is looking at part of the regular season too is how he's going to ramp these guys up and make those adjustments for, I think games one and two are part of Sean Pay- Payton's long-term plan. He doesn't care if they go 14 and two, that doesn't matter to him at no. this point because they've done it. They've done right. 13 and three, they've done 14 and two. They have to win in the postseason no matter where they are, no matter who they're playing. And right. his job is to have that team ready to make that run. I don't think he, the thing for him is win the division and get a first round by. Yep. That's what he's thinking about. However yep. that has to happen. That's what we need to do. The rest yeah. is all, we'll take care of. Cause I, I, I believe that the franchise has that enough faith in that roster. And I would too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And look, the saints have historically over the recent five or six years, been not great in week one and to open up the season like that's nothing new the Saints could come out and lose this opening game to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I know everybody would hate it but they could do that and still be fine just like they were fine a couple years ago when they lost the first what two or three games to open up the season and still made a playoff run going on wasn't it it started off one and three yeah and then they went what 11 and five on that season including a humongous win streak right in the middle of it like they'll be fine. Even if they lose the opening game and things like that, like there is going to be fine tuning at the beginning for every team across the NFL, which means that they might not lose that opening game. It might be close, but the Buccaneers are going to be doing the same type of fine tuning for sure, because they have a brand new quarterback and a brand new system that they're going through. Bruce Arians is having to understand what a dink and dunk is for like the first time in his coaching career. You know what I mean? Or what that offense looks like. And so there's a lot of fine tuning that's going to happen between both these teams within the division, as well as across the NFL. And I think that the Saint, the thing about it is that the Saints have maintained, much like the Kansas City Chiefs, their coaching staff, their roster, and their veteran roster on top of that going into the season, which is going to allow them to ideally get into get into sync uh, a lot quicker than some of these other younger teams. Your, one of your favorite guys, Lil Jordan Humphrey, is closing camp really, really strong. Um, I know you have him projected now as a lock, of course, to make the roster – but it's encouraging to see him making plays too, not yes. just being physical, um, which is what he's known for as being a, a very physical, solid, but he's making plays in camp and that's right. important for him. Yeah, he's developed a really good relationship and, and chemistry with Jameis Winston in particular. Uh, Taysom Hill and him have already had that. We saw that during the preseason last year with his big outstanding catch and run that nobody expects. I mean, the guy's six foot five, but he can move. Like he was a returner. Like he has return ability. It's, it's interesting. Like he's a, he's a very uh, unique player. 
And I think the Saints really like him. Um, I like Marquez, uh, Marquez Callaway, who came in as an undrafted free agent this year from Tennessee. Uh, Juwan Johnson, who came in from Oregon, formerly of Penn State, you know, played with Tommy Stevens, for instance. Uh, some of these other wide receivers, like Emmanuel Butler, who was a training camp gar- darling from last year, has put a little bit more focus to the other in- intricacies of his game this season. I think that the advantage and where the premium is this season is experience with the roster that you're on. And Lil Jordan Humphrey has that. He's somebody that has some unique ability over on the offensive side. I'm not going to say that he's going to be like your leading receiver or second leading receiver or anything like that. Like he'll be wide receiver five or six on the roster. Don't get me wrong, but he's somebody that has experience with the team, has played with the team, understands the system, does all of the other things outside of the receiver position that the Saints like in those split in type wide receivers, those big body wide receivers and has the ability to make plays, can play in and inside and out, and is very versatile. It, it's tough for me to pass on a guy like Lil Jordan Humphrey in favor of potential when we've already seen Lil Jordan Humphrey work with this team. And I know that you know he's you know one catch you know for a little bit, but one catch is better than is more than what most of the other wide receivers on this team have when it comes to the Saints' offense at this point. And I think that the Saints will probably lean a little bit more towards experience and, and put a premium on that. So it's one of the reasons why I have Lil Jordan Humphrey making the roster, but it's also good, as you mentioned, to see his growth in camp this year. Um, P. Rob in the secondary still making noise. He's, he's playing phenomenal football he right is. now. He is. But we've seen it before. True. We've seen it before in, in, in training camp. <laughs> True. I mean, it's, um, it's been the story, though, of camp is the secondary continues. Like every practice, the secondary, the secondary, the secondary. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and Patrick Robinson and PJ Williams in particular, like we come in with a predisposed notion and a predisposed understanding of what it is that they bring to the team or don't. Uh, and we have, uh, you know, our full on list of assumptions that come with that, a full on list of definitions that come with that that are affected by you know, how we feel when we say, oh, Patrick Robinson's been a standout performer so far in camp. But the fact of the matter is that he has been. And again, if you're putting a premium, as many teams are, on veteran experience and experience with the team that you're on, Patrick Robinson and P.J. Williams, they check those boxes. And they've been making plays so far. I think P.J. Williams up to five interceptions and four pass breakups, uh, the last that we heard from Nick Underhill on that. And then P.J., I'm sorry, P. Rob has looked good and like dominated one-on-ones the other day, as well as making some plays in, uh, which are heavily out- overweighted to the, uh, to the offensive side in terms of favor for one-on-ones. And he also made some plays in team drills and has continued to do that. So it, it's good to see it. I, I'm still really excited about Keith Washington, who I think right now has, he's an undrafted free agent out of West Virginia. I think right now he's got either four or five interceptions so far in camp. Uh, most of which though, against like Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. So that's something to consider, but look, they're going to go. I believe they're going to go with some of these guys that are veterans and have been on the team before. Um, they sacrificed a lot of veteran talent early in that 10 man roster cut down to where they cut 10, 10, veteran players experience nfl experience players and only two undrafted free agents but you you have to imagine that going into the 53-man roster and everything that's going to come with the the ramp up period and the growing period that's going to take place over september in the regular season that they're going to lean more towards the nfl experience than anything else well let's close on that um with the 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 roster cuts um most of the roster i think we're pretty solid on we know Mm -hmm. the top 35 to 40. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, right. it's pretty simple. Yeah. Are there people um, you would see as surprise cuts or surprise keeps? And who would be the folks on the practice squad who you think would be oh, a breath away from making the, the 53 man roster? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
To start off with a position that I think is going to be really interesting to watch when it comes to roster cuts, I'll go with linebackers because there are some potential surprises there. And it might not be as much of a surprise depending upon what happens with Kiko Alonso, but Kiko Alonso, at least before Wednesday's practice, as we're speaking, hasn't been at practice. He's been on the physically unable to perform list. And so far, there's no report of him being lifted from that list that makes him eligible to practice. If he's not able to get off the PUP list before the season begins, which is just days away now in terms of the official beginning of the season, then he goes to injured reserve and then they'll have time to activate him after that. But if they don't, after a certain point, he's done for the season. And so if he's not ready to go at the beginning of the year, they could move on from him on an injury settlement and an injury waiver or they could keep him on injured reserve and see what happens uh, over that next couple of, you know, over the next little bit. And then once they get to that point where they have to make the decision to either send him away or, uh, or, or activate him, they may just make the decision to send him away to injured reserve. And so that could open up opportunities for somebody like Joe Bocci, the undrafted free agent linebacker out of Michigan state, who a lot of people have, uh, you know, Michael Hodges has been very complimentary of Dennis Allen's been very complimentary of, he can play special teams. He can play all three linebacker positions could open the door for somebody like him to make the roster. Nigel Bradham not being on the roster anymore means to me that Craig Robertson is continuing on with this team as a deaf linebacker and as a special teams captain, more importantly as well. So I think that's going to be the really interesting one to watch. I think that there's going to be, no matter where you sit on the spectrum, somebody is going to be surprised about some cut somewhere in the wide receiver room. That is, there's going to be some surprise there, whether it's Lil Jordan Humphrey gets cut and Austin Carr makes the roster or, uh, you know, Emmanuel Butler doesn't make the roster. Like somebody's going to be surprised somewhere. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch for sure. The players that I think that are going to end up on the practice squad that have, you know, that are going to be very close to be finding time at some point during the season. Uh, Marquez Callaway, Jawan Johnson are two of them that I mentioned from earlier. And, uh, but an under the radar one is Blake Gillikin, the punter out of Penn state. Um, there's only a few, you know, each team only has one punter for the most part on their roster. So there's only so many jobs to go around. If let's say, and I wouldn't wish this obviously, but let's say that something happens with Thomas Morissette and he has to miss games. He comes in contact with something completely out of his control. He comes in contact with somebody who tests positive for COVID-19 and has to go on the COVID reserve list. Having somebody on the practice squad like Blake Gillikin that can handle punts, can handle kickoffs, maybe can even kick your field goals if you need them to, depending upon what you need. Um, having that talent, because he's extremely talented and he's very good. He has a humongous leg. Um, that is huge. And that is something that I think the specialist appearance on practice squads this year, I think it's going to be heavier than we've seen before because usually we don't see it at all. Usually those guys just float about in free agency until somebody calls them. I think you'll see somebody like him end up on this practice squad uh, or potentially boost it to somebody else's roster. The thing that's interesting about the practice squad this year is that you get six additional spots. So it's 16 different spots and those six new slots can go to veteran players. They don't have to be under a certain threshold or anything like that. So it'll be interesting to see which veterans are asked to join the practice squad and which ones are willing to join the practice squad after being veterans in the NFL and then dropping to that practice squad pay. Now, probably practice squad pay is better than no pay, of course, but I think that that'll be an interesting thing to watch. And teams can protect four players every week as well. So it'll be, it'll be, it'll be something uh, in terms of just watching to see how this all gets filled out. But there are certainly some players that'll end up on that practice squad that I think will get time at some point during the season, whether COVID related or not. Um, and, and those are a few that I think stand out for me. 
just to follow up on the Kiko Alonso question, do you think he could be cut and then the Saints reach one of those agreements where it's like, just stay by your phone. And when you get healthy, we'll keep monitoring you. Let us know your progress, whatever, all those things. And just to save the money now, but you know, when we need you, you're our first call. Because they've done that in the past. We've seen them bring guys back cyclically and say just, hey, you know, you know the system. Come right. on in. We, we need you. And if you, you do your job, well, you'll stick. And right. I think if you're Kiko Alonso at this stage, there aren't going to be a lot of teams willing to take a risk on you, mm-hmm. especially one that's you think is a step away from or the Super Bowl. That, that could be a very viable option for them. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just depends on if he comes off the physically unable to perform list. If he comes off that list and then the Saints – decide to move on from him. He could be one of those guys that gets a call right after week one. So that they mm-hmm. don't have to guarantee a salary. He restructured right. his salary this season. And so it makes him cuttable. And so if he comes back, but doesn't have enough time to get ready for the top for week one, anyway, they could easily make that decision and bring him back post week one, not have to guarantee a salary. If he ends up getting cut off of the physically unable to perform list for on an injury waiver, if he doesn't get claimed by another team, he'll automatically revert to their injured reserve. Mm-hmm. And so they wouldn't really have the Be option to, to do that anyway. And then if he doesn't come off the PUP list and he starts the season on injured reserve, then the roster spot is open sure. anyway, and they can evaluate it after six weeks or up to six weeks um, before, before activating him to the roster if they so decide to. Otherwise, he, he sticks on injured reserve for the rest of the season. So he would have to come off the list before. But if he does and the Saints still decide, look, you're not ready for week one, and we have to, carry, we have to make sure we carry as many players as possible in here. Of course, they do have the inactive list to lean on as well. But whatever that ends up being, uh, if they decide to move on from him, if he comes off the PUP list, you could definitely see him get a phone call back. Yeah, I just I don't I don't see the point in carrying him on an inactive list. Right. It just it doesn't help them. Right. And, and I, I that's not yeah, a even, just in, the, even just in the practice. Yeah, even just in the practice week, like you want those players to be there, especially this season. You can't have bodies. You can't just right. have guys in the tub or in the training room. Everybody has to be available. And even if that means you take a, a 5% or a 10% hit in talent because a guy's sitting and you have to put in somebody who's a slightly lesser player, at least they're there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, man, I think we've covered. <laughs> There's not much to say <laughs> now at this point. Like I said, we don't have a game to look forward to this weekend, a final preseason game before he cuts. Right. But um, it's, it's an exciting time. Yeah. Yeah. Next time we talk, it'll be – the day before the, the NFL starts. opens. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. Oh, oh, Tommy Stevens. Real quick. Tommy okay. Stevens is another one to watch just to see. Ex- I, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I don't know what's going to happen to him. It's so exciting for me because I have been saying from the very beginning that the Saints traded back into this draft to take Tommy Stevens purely out of spite and purely out of just being petty against Joe Brady. And so I don't expect him to make the roster, but I know a lot of people do, but he'll be somebody that's really interesting to see exactly what the Saints do. They keep four tight ends. How does he make the roster? I don't see I how know. he makes the roster. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it. What the only position? Way would be, he would have to make it as a tight end uh, in, terms of, in terms of the roster spot that he would fill. He would come in as a tight end as that's what he says. Like at this point. Five but you should be carrying tight four tight ends at that point. Ends. Yeah. And that's not, you know, the Saints went into last year with two, with two. They went in with Jerry Cook and Josh Hill and that was it. And they were happy with that. So, but you'd also have to figure out where you're going to take that spot away from. Do you take that from the offensive line, defensive line? Do you take that and you only carry five wide receivers, which is uncustomary for the Saints if they have if their primary returner is a wide receiver, they usually carry six wide receivers. So I don't know. I don't know. It's it's going to be really. I'm just, I'm part of the reason why I'm so excited for Saturday is to figure out what the hell is going to happen with Tommy Stevens because it's it's going to be really interesting Does to see he go what to happens. Practice squad. 
I mean, if he gets cut, the expectation is that he'll get picked up by Carolina. That's the outside expectation. But remember, last year, everybody thought that if Emmanuel Butler got cut, that everybody was going to go after to sign Emmanuel Butler because, oh, he looks so good in training camp. And he made it to the, to the practice. So it'll be interesting to see because we don't really know. But you can imagine that with there being more spots on practice squads that he would get a call from Carolina who's very interested in signing him as an undrafted free agent. But, but we don't know for sure is the thing. We can't, we can't give up a roster spot. Like you can't expect a team to give up an active roster spot for somebody that is still learning the position that isn't going to be an impact player for you during the season in a season where, as we're talking about, you need every impact player that you can get. And that just, it doesn't make sense to give that up in favor of making sure that some guy that doesn't contribute to your team anyway, gets signed off somewhere else. And I understand that there's, there's future and potential, but there was also that future and potential in Nick Fitzgerald, who they wanted to move to that type of a role. And so many other quarterbacks around the NFL that they tried to move into Taysom Hill roles. And so I, I don't know. It, I just, I can't wait to see what happens with them because I have no idea. I, I don't there's know. There's a guy like go. that every year. Yeah. There's a guy yeah. like that every year that you can yeah. find who's a great athlete playing quarterback and you can give them a chance and see if they fit in it. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. there are 10 of them every right. year that we right. see and a couple of them pan out as backups. Very few of them make it to be starters. I don't, yeah. I can't tell you the last one that ended up being, it's just Taysom Hill. They've tried it with so many other quarterbacks. Sandy, I'm sorry, Los Angeles tried it. The Ravens tried it. The Bucks tried it. The Falcons tried to move Danny Etling to that type of, of role in, in practice so yep. they can get ready for, for Taysom Hill. Clearly, that didn't work. I wonder why. But you know, there's so many of these guys that end up coming into the NFL that just you're not going to be able to find it again. You're not going to find it immediately like that. And my argument for it, too, is that they also made that trade to go up and grab a potential another Swiss Army knife, Taysom Hill-type role in uh, Tommy Stevens before they signed Ty Montgomery, who is already that and Swiss Army knife role in the NFL, period, uh, and is in a better system that will benefit that. So that's my other thought process behind it is that you, know, you, you have that, you have a second person that you can line up wherever you want anyway. So why waste a roster spot on a guy that's still learning the position when you could potentially get him to your practice squad, which is where you usually want those developmental players in the first place. But and he's not, he's not even viable for two years. Cause look how right. long it took Taysom to really become an impact guy between a guy right. who made what was on the field for maybe was on the field for plays, but wasn't a playmaker initially. Right. It was just like, we yeah. need another body out there. Can you please, you know, do this? Cause he wanted to play. Yeah. And, 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 and so, Mike Westoff was like, throw him in on special teams. And so even early, it was what he did on special teams that made him notable. Not what he did as an offensive weapon. It was his so tackles on special teams. Through. It was, yeah, that he yeah. was a, gr- a really good gunner and it, he could do those things and he was versatile. So I, I, in, the, in my lifetime, we've only seen one quarterback make the transition from that kind of player to starting quarterback, and that's Cordell Stewart. Cordell Stewart, And yeah, even right. that, he made one Pro Bowl as right. the starting quarterback and made two AFC championship games, mm-hmm. but still nobody is going to go down and say Cordell Stewart was an all-time great. He was a right. decent quarterback for a number of years, yeah. but not a needle mover. So yeah. it's just not a transition that is common yeah. Yeah. in this league. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there because mm-hmm. I'm incredibly interested in what happens with them. They're going to be – the mar- the post-cut market is going to be frenzied, I believe. Yeah. Because teams couldn't get looks at people, and they are going to be shooting into the dark 
to fill roster spots at positions of need. And a lot of veterans who are sitting out right now as free agents, give them two weeks. Right. Give them two right. weeks because teams yeah. are going to be calling vets and say, we need somebody to come in and do something. I, yeah. I just, I wouldn't be worried if I'm a guy who, who has veteran experience and I'm not sitting on a roster right now. You got to avoid camp. You'd probably be in a team not too long. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me to see a lot of sharing amongst coaching tree player, uh, coaching tree coaches. So you'll see a lot of like, let's say Los Angeles chargers, for instance, Anthony Lynn, Sean Payton have a very good relationship, both part of the Parcells tree and that tree expands are amongst position coaches and everything around the NFL as well. So you're going to see a lot of players that aren't on a team's current roster getting signed to practice squads and getting signed after cuts based upon information that coaches, personnel, players, I'm sorry, are getting about players that are, you know, have that connection with other coaches around the NFL. You're going to see a lot of coaching tree sort of sharing uh, going on, I imagine, uh, after those cuts. And that's the most information anybody's getting. Outside of that, like you said, it's, it's kind of shooting in the dark. It's going to be a, a, an exciting week. I can't wait till next week till we get to talk and, and like I said, be the eve of the season, man. It'll be the mm-hmm. eve of the season. So all this speculation will be over and it'll be time to see what's what. Yep. What's what. We're going to learn that. We're going to learn that day. We're going to learn that day. Uh, <laughs> I, I, we have no idea what we're about to open. No idea. <laughs> it's like, it's like going to the church, picking up a box of commodities and you get home and you have a white bag that just says chips on it. And you don't know what kind of chips is inside. You have no idea what you're getting. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun while, while we're in a position that the factor doesn't include danger, right? Once we get to the the place where the factor includes like COVID factors and things like that, then obviously like that then it becomes a little bit more serious. But in terms of these roster moves, in terms of who ends up where, what happens with X, Y, and Z, that part, it's going to be really, really fun to kick off the beginning of the season. I'd imagine there's going to be some big names out um, getting cut at the end of this that are going to shock a lot of people around the league. It happens every year, but I think this year in particular, mm-hmm. there are going to be some people move, moving on um, that are going to surprise us. And I yep. always look forward to that too, yeah. because that scramble is really um, something when a guy's trying to find a home and he right. thought he was going to be somewhere for this season. He really Oof. believed it. Those right. are tough. Yep. Man, Ross, thank you so much um, for, for coming on again. Every week is just um, fantastic. I, I mean, I, we, like I said, it's, it's like we're not even recording this. I could have I know. <laughs> be doing this, you know, sitting on the phone or texting back and forth, and we'd be doing the right. same thing. So um, thank you again. Let the, tell the folks how they can follow you. They should know, but we just tell them as, as yeah, we do no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure to be here with you. And again, I'm looking forward to next week getting at it again. Uh, y'all can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, NOLA, catch everything over at canalstreetchronicles.com. And uh, of course the locked on saints podcast, every single Monday through Friday, wherever it is that you get your podcast from after you're done listening to hard in the paint, come and check me out uh, over there, man. Uh, such a pleasure as always. And I look forward to next week and all the interactions we'll have before then too. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Go to Canal Street Chronicles. Ross does have his projected cuts for the roster there. You can check those out. And there's some other uh, great information there as well, as usual. So for Ross Jackson, uh, I am David Grubb. And this has been another episode of Hard to Pay. See you tomorrow.